it's not actually just about being anonymous. Uh, the key actually is that there were never any consequences or structure. When the first homophobic slur was seen on a forum or on a BBS forum, nothing happened. Nobody stepped in and said, hey, that's not cool. Or nobody stepped in and said, hey, that, that's against the rules. Or there was no structure or consequences in place for that kind of behavior. Let's start this episode off with a provocation. The internet is a cesspool. Trolls, haters, bigots, griefers, doxers, and cyber bullies infest every comment section, every Facebook post, every forum, every chat, any place where someone can type into a text box and hit send. If you're one of the nearly 2 billion people on the planet who visit a website, play a network game, or use a smartphone app at least once a day, there's a strong chance you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you've seen someone use violent language to try to hurt someone else. Maybe you've been verbally attacked, harassed, or even threatened. Or maybe you, yourself, are a troll. It's worth saying that not everyone shares this desperate, pessimistic view of the internet. After all, the internet's a reflection of humanity, and people aren't inherently bad. But just like the news never reports good news, you rarely ever hear about the web forum that was awesome because it wasn't abusive. But today we're going to talk about one of those places, one of those rare oases in our networked world where harassment is kept to a minimum, where the participants in the community are actually given an incentive not to abuse one another, even while they're actually hacking each other to pieces. Jeffrey Lin is the lead game designer of social systems for Riot Games, makers of the immensely popular multiplayer online role-playing game League of Legends. Like many other games until recently, the chat space of League of Legends was rotten with toxic behavior. Not just trash talk, but racism, sexism, homophobia, threats of violence. And then Jeffrey came on board. He's one of the few people employed by the gaming industry completely dedicated to tracking social behavior on the net and inventing ways to civilize it. So I know that you're trained as a neuroscientist That's right. and you're a PhD. Yeah. Um, how, does, how did you get into working for one of the premier game companies in the country? Uh, well, actually, this goes back three, four years ago now. Um, I was still doing my PhD, uh, graduating from University of Washington, and trying to figure out what, to, what I wanted to do after that point. And at that time, I happened to be doing a stint at Valve Software as well. And after that, I met Mark Merrill, uh, the president of Riot Games, and he told me a story about you know 20 years ago when he was playing EverQuest there was already negative online behavior, right? There was already what he called, you know, trolls or toxic players uh, that were bullying other players, so on and so forth. And he wondered why studios had never tried to tackle this problem. So he asked me, if, if we give you a team, choose your own team at Riot, do whatever you like, could we solve that problem? And I said, of course. And, and here we are, three years later. So what was it about talking about behavior that interested you? I've always been a huge gamer ever since I was a little kid. I, I played everything. But when I kind of graduated as a psychologist and then went into neuroscience, I always kind of sat as a gamer thinking, hey, I see this problem. We could try this. As scientists, we knew that we could apply these techniques with these interventions. I wonder why the studios never did it before. So as soon as Mark Merrill mentioned that there was an opportunity to kind of try these experiments, I was, I was all in. And so League of Legends is one of the most popular games. Uh, it has over 60 million players. It has like over a billion hours of gameplay per month That's logged. Right. I'm curious about this popularity and at what point the makers of this game were like, okay, 
this is a great game. Like lots of people are playing it, but there's this insidious problem of conversation online that uh, is ruining it for a lot of people. What kind of like made them actually want to do something about it? it? It does go back to when they were kids as well and when they were playing games. But more importantly than kind of the problem in League of Legends is they quickly realized that this is a problem in all online interactions, right? Whether it was social platforms, social networks, or online multiplayer games, every single experience that you had online, you saw these kinds of problems. And this is why as soon as we started working on League of Legends and we started seeing the effects that kind of interventions had on the game and how much better the game was because of it, um, they wanted to reach out. So we started feeling like we had the sense of social responsibility of, hey, if once we know that we can have an effect, we do need to share our best practices. We need to reach back out to universities, work with scientists on how do we kind of advance the fields and our learnings there. Um, we need to go to other studios because our League of Legends players, they play all games. They play first-person shooters, they play MMOs, and they're on social media, right? They're on the Facebooks and Twitters and Google Pluses. So for us, we need to get everybody involved. And I think that's where we are now, which is we've seen the results in League. It's time for us to kind of share our lessons and go wider. So let's get specific. What, what are we talking about when we talk about behavior? What kinds of examples can you give? And how do you categorize the, like, the different types of behavior that are viewed as toxic online? For us specifically, it's the kind of behaviors that you feel are completely never okay in any context in real life, but you feel that they're okay in online. So we're looking at examples of if you talk to a person on the street, they might say things like, oh yeah, being sexist online, being homophobic online, or being racist online, that's normal. And we're, that's the kind of behavior that we believe is just not okay in any context and it's toxic. Um, and we want to try to merge that gap. We want to make sure that their expectations for behaviors online is the same as offline. What kinds of examples of bad behavior, if you don't mind, like if any kind of stick out to you, do, do you have any examples that you like to like point out? <laughs> I mean, so there was one example that we actually talked about at Harvard uh, two years ago where there were kids that were using the N-word online, the, 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 the racist slur. And through some interventions, we actually saw a lot of those kids change their kind of awareness and they were writing letters into Riot Games saying things like, hey, I'm really sorry. I just Nobody ever told me that the N-word was not okay online. I'll never do it again. So that's one of our classic examples of just that awareness alone changed that behavior. What, what, what do you think it is about the internet that makes people comfortable doing things that they wouldn't do in the meat space? So it's really interesting because over the last several years now, we've learned that it's not actually just about being anonymous. Uh, the key, actually, is that there were never any consequences or structure, right? So if you look back to the early days of the Internet, say 20, 30 years ago, when we were just starting to learn about the Internet, when the first homophobic slur was seen on a forum or on a BBS forum, nothing happened, right? Nobody stepped in and said, hey, that's not cool, or nobody stepped in and said, hey, that, that's against the rules, or there was no structure or consequences in place for that kind of behavior. And so over 20 years we evolved as a, as a society online thinking that that was okay, that in that context, we can act that way. If you see recently, um, there are more websites these days that kind of remove the anonymous side of things. You have to post with your real name, you have to uh, log in with your Facebook, stuff like that, but that by itself does nothing, right? If you look at those comments and the comment sections, they're just as bad as they were before. And that surprises people, but it's because there's no consequences. As soon as we instill consequences and structure online, we see that the change is, is immediate. So let's talk about League of Legends and uh, your, your approach to dealing with bad behavior and toxicity. What have you guys 
realized over the last like two or three years um, and put into place as your strategy to deal with this? Our, one of our guiding philosophies is that the players drive the moral standards of the community. So as Riot Games, as developers, we're not the arbitrators, we're not the judges of behavior. We don't decide what's good or what's bad. So a lot of our systems actually are player-informed. So the players can actually look at a behavior and they can tell us through voting systems, hey, is this good or not good in League of Legends? It makes sense because the players are the citizens of right. the society there. So was there like consideration of the idea of like, um, you know, having a team of moderators just like overlording and creating regulations at first? Or how did you come into this? So we, that was the initial response from every studio, right? Just have a team of moderators, find bad behaviors and ban them out and, and everything should be solved. Uh, but there's two problems with that. So one, the vast majority of negativity in an ecosystem is not from the persistently bad kind of worst 1%. The majority of negative behaviors is actually from the average player kind of having a bad day. So they have a bad day at work or school, they go home, they carry that into their games, and they have a raging game or outburst, that one game. So having a team of moderators just searching out for bands just doesn't work. Um, secondly, at the scale that we operate at, our team would have to be ginormous. It's impossible to operate at our scale if you just focus on having a moderating team. It's interesting uh, talking about it this way because it, it feels like you're more of a sociologist than like an interventionist like coming in. You're kind of like, you're not the one deciding that uh, a certain type of behavior is bad. You're, you're asking the community to kind of like create those standards. I'm curious about the like the differences between different times types of behavior and language. How do you talk about, you know, like what what's trash talk versus what's homophobic versus what has actual like violent malicious intent? That's actually one of the best uh, examples of why we had to choose this philosophy because League of Legends is global, right? We're in Korea, China, Taiwan. And if we were just to choose a standard as a North American company, we'd probably miss out on a lot of that nuance of that culture. But if each server, the players are actually giving us that feedback and kind of setting their own standards, then we know that, hey, it's actually catered to every single local culture. So a good example is in the early days, we weren't sure as a company whether offensive language was kind of bad or good. And the players weren't sure either. So we had a system where it showed chat logs of actual games and players could log in and vote on was this behavior good or not good in League of Legends. And players asked us, they were like, Riot, are we supposed to ban and punish offensive language or, or not? What, what is your stance on this? And we said, no, 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 we want you guys to figure this out. So in about a six-month period, what they decided was offensive language, like competitive banter, for example, is fine. So if you say something like, fuck, I missed that skill shot, nobody cares. That's not punishable. But as soon as you direct that at somebody else, that became verbal abuse, and that was punishable. But like something that's been acceptable, like if you're on the basketball court, like playing two-on-two -two or whatever, is like, oh, uh, your mama could have made that shot or something like is offensive, but playful. And that's a culture that a lot of people are like, okay, we got to preserve that. You know, it's, it's fun. It's not malicious. Like, has there been any pressure to kind of keep a little bit of that fun? It's like nuance there, actually. So there's two different game modes in League of Legends. You can play 5v5, which is you're, you have four friends, you're on the same team, and you're against five other people, and you're kind of in an organized play environment. In that environment, competitive banter and kind of trash talking it, it is probably okay. And both teams accept it and kind of play back and forth on it. But most games in League of Legends are not organized play. Right? They're kind of like pickup games. You, are, you don't know anybody on your team. They're all strangers. And you're forming a team for the first time together. In that environment, it's hard for people to understand, is it competitive banter or are you actually just abusing me? Um, so in those contexts, we're, we're more harsh against that. 
Do you feel like these lessons, things that you've learned here, um, have been or could be applied to other communities? Have you seen them, any of your work being kind of brought into other gaming communities or, you know, even just other online communities in general? Yeah, I mean, we're seeing more and more, last year in particular, actually, other game studios adopt the same kind of lessons and philosophies and focus on interventions and reform, actually. So we recently did a collaboration with Reddit, and we learned a couple different things. So one, there's something called a shadow ban, and we use a kind of feature like this in League of Legends. Shadow bans are where, let's say you're on a forum, and you post on the forum. You think you're still making that post. You think you're contributing, but nobody else can actually see that post. So you get no upvotes, no downvotes, no feedback, no responses at all. And actually, if a negative poster on a forum gets a shadow ban, uh, about 79% of those posters improve their behaviors after just one shadow ban. I, um, I was looking at one of the, uh, the forums for League of Legends earlier today, and there was a, a section on punishments. And uh, <laughs> yes. like seeing one of the, the uh, suggestions from the community was like, okay, well, uh, we can get creative about punishments. Let's do, if someone engages in bad behavior, let's set it up so that their account, you know, has a really ugly font or plays yep. an awful Britney Spears song in the yep. background for a while. Um, you, so is, is kind of like creative punishment part of the process here? I think definitely. I mean, w one of the interesting things that we did was something called chat restrictions in the game. Um, so if you have a record of verbal abuse, for example, the next time you log into the game, you get this limited chat mode. And it tells you, because of negative behavior or because of racism, for example, uh, you are now in limited chat mode. You only have three messages you can use in your game. And if you behave, that message increases over time, the actual pool of messages. And what we're forcing players to do is, every single time they play a game, there's a moral dilemma now. Do I use my limited chat messages for helping my team win the game? So talk about strategy, positioning, or do I use my messages to be a dick? And Gamers just want to win, actually. More than anything else, they want to win that competitive game. So they all decide that, hey, I'm going to use my limited messages to actually communicate with my team to win the game instead. And after we tried that experiment out, thousands of players wrote into Ride and said, hey, can we have that permanently on our account? Uh, because what I've learned is that I actually win more games when I'm actually limited by this chat feature. So there's something about this that almost seems custom to the gaming community. Like it's useful for right. the gaming culture. I wonder if this is something that can work for people online who aren't gamers or are interested in like. I think you could do the exact same thing actually for, for like a Twitter or a Facebook, right? So let's say you are a brand new Twitter user. Let's say you start with only three tweets that you can make per day. But actually with good behavior and good quality content, let's say you unlock that restriction on your account over time. So you don't need to do the exact implementation that we did, but the concept is there, which is make sure the user or player is practicing good behavior and learning good behavior and then slowly earning more rights over time. I think Twitter would have something to say about that because it's... Of course. <laughs> I mean, the, the thing is, like, in the, the general, like kind of internet conversation sphere, there's this real binary between feeling like the community has the the comfort to say whatever they want, that they're not being chilled at all, and like just general policing. Like it's one or the other. It's either free speech or it's like total lockdown. That's why I think we need to actually merge the gap between real life expectations and online expectations, right? So like, let's say you're on the bus somewhere in, in public transportation. If you start spewing homophobic slurs, at some point somebody's gonna step in and be like, hey dude, like cut that out. That's not cool, that's not okay, right? Right now, we've created this culture online when it comes to kind of social media or social networks that, hey, you can say whatever you want, you're, and you're entitled to that. 
why is that a different expectation than real life? One thing I feel like I have to talk about or I have to get your opinion on is uh, is Gamergate. I'm kind of interested in the fact that you and League of Legends uh, have been part of intervening in online behavior long before Gamergate became an issue. But Gamergate is still like uh, something that feels kind of infectious to the gaming community. Um, and I wonder, have you noticed any of this in the League of Legends community? Or has the intervention that you put in place um, in advance kind of just move that elsewhere, move the examples of misogyny in gaming uh, outside of the community. I think the interesting thing uh, about this is that if you look at before or after, you know, before or after last year's incidents has happened, the actual number of people online that are neutral or positive is the same. And actually that number is the vast majority of people online. So if you look at League of Legends, for example, something like 90% of our players are neutral or positive. And really you're only looking at the 1% of the population that are persistently homophobic or racist or sexist. And actually, if you look at real life society as well, the numbers are actually pretty similar. The problem online is the silent majority aren't actually empowered to do anything, right? To every single racist or sexist remark you see on, on online, on a social media, there's probably a hundred people that are against that remark. They just don't step out of the woodwork. So my question is moving forward, how do we get the silent majority to do something? Because if we do that, then actually we change online to be more like real life and we actually don't see these kind of behaviors in the future. How do you feel about the, the, the widely adopted maxim, don't read the comments? <laughs> if you're a parent or if you're an educator, you're often taught growing up that, hey, if there's a negative behavior, respond with silence, ignore it. And if you ignore it, those behaviors will be extinguished or they'll be diminished over time. For some reason that didn't happen on the internet, right? On the internet, when we actually respond to a behavior with silence, what happened was we just started reinforcing it. We started reinforcing the attitude, the mentality that, hey, on the internet, I'm entitled to do whatever I want. So I think actually on the internet, because it's a slightly different society with different expectations and culture right now, silence is not the right response. Just going back to that example that you cited earlier of a, of a kid who just didn't know that the N-word was not okay, this is a huge education tool for people. If they, if they just honestly don't know how to behave, it's useful to have this kind of education tool out there. That's right. And actually more and more these days we're spending our time online, right? So a lot of kids are growing up these days and they're not spending as much time, you know, on the soccer field, on the basketball court and learning about, you know, context and etiquette and what it means to be a good citizen of the community. We just received this great example where a student uh, did a first grade project on League of Legends. And actually it was a comparison between basketball and league. And he was saying to his teacher in his class and in his presentation of, I learned about teamwork in these two very different contexts. Right, and that to us, I think, is a, is a great space in the future. Uh, speaking of the future, what do you think the next five years holds? I think in general, what, what we're already seeing is seeds of this, which is every single platform or game studio that actually deals with multiplayer online interactions, uh, they're gonna start having a player behavior team, right? They need to start having psychologists, sociologists, anthropologists, economists, kind of study online behavior and better understand it. Because up to this point, a lot of studios have thought, this is an impossible problem. Why even try to shape behavior? But we're realizing more and more that actually we have an influence here and we can make a big difference here. Jeffrey, thank you very much. No, thank you very much. Jeffrey Lin is the lead game designer of social systems for Riot Games, makers of the immensely popular multiplayer online role-playing game, League of Legends. You can find out more about him through our website, blogs.law.harvard.edu slash mediaberkman. 
So this is the first episode in a series about hate speech and cyberbullying on the net that we're trying out. Um, in future episodes, we're hoping to have conversations with researchers, activists, linguists, journalists, anyone with an interesting opinion about hate on the net. So if you have any ideas for this series, please give us a shout in the comments. This episode of Radio Berkman was produced by me, Daniel Dennis-Jones, with Carrie Tian and Gretchen Weber from the Berkman Center for Internet and Society at Harvard University in Cambridge, Massachusetts.